0: You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show today we have Virgino Barbaro an exceptional guest a book author with more than 15 years in real estate investing with different commercial spaces, more than 2,000 units under management, real estate mentor,
1: and keynote speaker. Help me
0: to welcome our guest today.
1: How are you, Gino? I'm doing great. I love the title of your show, Adam. It's Greatest Multifamily Investor Show. So everyone out there, a smart person is one who learns by their own mistakes. And then I am real smart because I've made a ton of mistakes and I've learned. A wise person is one who learns by others' mistakes. And that's why you're listening to this podcast because you're here to listen to my mistakes. And I'm sure Adam's made a few of his own, <laughs> but that's why we listen to these podcasts, right? It's all about... It's all about learning from others' mistakes and actually saying to themselves and being humble and saying, listen, they've done it before. Let me rip off and duplicate what they've done to see and emulate what they're doing. And hopefully I can I can put that into my own life.
0: Great to start. And it's going to be a great episode, I think. Literally I hope- from, the, from the master here. So we, we're going to have a lot of uh, advices and lesson learned, I think, today. So, again, thank you so much for being with us today. And I appreciate you taking the time. Your background is super impressive on the last 15 years on syndication and multifamily and commercial spaces. But I would like to start with the beginning for you was 2011 and 2010. It was not a stable market. How was the beginning for you?
1: Adam, let's talk real back even quick for the reason for my success. I've got an amazing wife. We've got six children, and, and that's the basis for all that I'm doing this. That's, I, I wish early on that my career was a fulfillment of my dreams, and, and it wasn't early on. I had a restaurant, and it was great the first few years. My dad passed away in 2007, and, and with that, I had worked with him since I was a little child. And that's what led me to multifamily because in 2008, the Great Recession is there, and I'm questioning why am I doing the restaurant now? It doesn't feel as if it's my dream. Why am I doing this? I need to find something else. And I went out like you and like a lot of other successful people. I went out and found mentorship. I joined Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I found another mentor. Worked a couple of years for that. Mm -hmm. I met Jake at the restaurant in 2009. He was a pharmaceutical rep. I was the pizza guy, hence the drug rep and the pizza guy. In 2011, Jake moves down to Knoxville. And, And fortunately, I think God had an intention for us to go down there and to partner. He moves down there in 2011 from New York and we start looking at deals and it takes us 18 months to find that very first deal hmm. we're a little slow you know but after 18 months the second deal and after 6 months after that our third deal and you talk about 2011 hmm. very big differences to what there is now actually the, the economy is pretty similar although now we don't know what a definition of a recession is anymore Inflation is transitory. We don't know what the hell they're talking about. But at that time in 2011, there was no money for syndication. Mm. Cap rates were really high. Mm. There was a lot of risk in the market. Mm. Our very first deal in 2013, one bedrooms were 350 bucks. Now that same one bedroom because we still own the asset is 995 plus rubs. Cool. So rents have more than tripled. We still yeah. own that asset. So there's a lot of risk in the market. Deals were on loop net. There was no appetite for investing. So mm. Jake and I. Our first deal, we used creative financing. We bought our first 25 unit property with seller financing, 10% down payment from our pockets, 10% seller financing, and 8% from the bank. And I think that's where we're going. That's where this this part of the market cycle is heading. We talk about the three pillars of real estate we've created, we trademarked it. It's market cycle, it's debt, and it's exit strategy. We've put all three of those together. These concepts are all out there. But for every investor out there, I really want you to focus on these three pillars. Market cycle first. When we started, it was definitely a buyer's market, right? Sellers had no, had no choice to sell, right? They had no, no posturing like they do now. Mm. Buyers had all the advantage. And mm. that was a mistake that we thought. We don't need the brokers when in actuality, you always need brokers because brokers are always going to bring you deals. Back at that time, the market cycle, you could buy C assets for really high cap rates. As the market has gone higher these last seven, eight, nine, 10 years, cap rates have compressed. So in this part of the cycle, we're buying assets that are newer because cap rates are very similar between a B and a C asset, right? Plus, we're also thinking in decades, we want to own these assets for longer. That's why we're buying newer assets in this part of the cycle. When prices readjust and they go down, It's not like we're not looking for older assets. We're still buying older assets, but we really need to buy them at the right price point. Mm -hmm. That second pillar, everybody, is exit strategy. When we bought that first deal in 2013, we didn't have an exit strategy. We thought buy and hold forever, which for the most part we've done. But at some point, most people out there, what they need to do is to start buying assets and putting them on what we Mm -hmm. call a conveyor belt. A conveyor belt is this imaginary belt. In front of you, you start putting assets on top. And as you get along the conveyor belt, year one, year two, year three, these assets start matriculating. You're either going to exit the deal by selling it, you're either going to continue to hold it or possibly refinance it. Get the equity out and start buying more assets. You may start with a two unit, then a 10 unit, then a 20 unit, then a 70 unit, but you need to start. And now is as good a time to start as any. And the third one is the debt. Now, if you don't know what kind of exit strategy you're looking at, how are you going to find out what kind of debt? If you're buying mm-hmm. hold forever, you may go with an agency loan that has yield maintenance because you're going to hold this thing forever. If you're doing short term, like you were talking about, maybe you go with bridge financing. Yeah. If you go with a little bit longer term, hey, let's look at community bank or a credit union. So everybody out there, write those down. Market cycle, debt and exit strategy. Know what part of the cycle your market's in. Because right now there's some markets like Oakland, California that are still in recession. And there are some markets that are in hyper supply and expansion that are, you know, one one of them's in a buyer's market, the other one's a seller's market. Know where you are, know the type of asset. And finally, ultimately, I want everyone listening to this from knowing what part of the market cycle you're in, Understand what your buy right criteria is. Now, what do I mean by that? We we teach buy right, manager, and finance, right? In the buy right criteria, it's very important to understand what assets you're focusing on. For us, we're looking for assets that are 1980s and newer. We like assets that are two bedrooms, and we'll take three bedrooms, we'll even take ones. But if we get two bedroom townhomes, dude, every day, brick. We like washer-dryer hookups. We like those type of amenities. We like median incomes of at least $50,000. We'll look at certain submarkets. We like to look at population growth, job growth. These are all metrics that we're looking for when we're buying an asset in this part of the cycle. Now, when a deal comes to us, we can, you can look at it real clearly and say, yes, yes, no, no. That focus and that determination and that resolve doesn't, you know, people always say, hey, I, I lack the motivation. No, we don't lack the motivation. We lack the clarity. That buy criteria will give you the clarity along with the market cycle and debt to be able to formulate a business plan that's unique and special to what every person's situation and circumstances are listening to this podcast. Because I'm a little bit older right now. I don't have to force myself into doing deals. I'm very comfortable with my deals right now. And I can be more selective. Other people are looking for deals that have capital appreciation. Others that are older and want to be retired, they might want a little more cash flow. So understand what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish. And by doing that, Let's work on what your business plan looks like. Let's work on what your buy rate plan looks like. And let's focus on those three pillars of real estate to help you pull all of this together. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it is. But one of the things you mentioned is is your stage right now. I see a lot of new investors when you start the focus on stage, um, not stage, um, more product like uh, C products, not a B product yes. because of price yes. wise. But you right now you're you're making a point, I like it, which is, Right now, you a, the, the cap rate is already compressed. It's already is really close, the B and C. And even and now I see more experienced uh, uh, investors with more 10 and 12 when they have already a big portfolio, they focus more on even a product number A, like
1: mm-hmm. a,
0: a product. So I like what you're saying about this. But my question is now, what is the upside of your market now? You you Before the show, we were talking about like your model is not about syndication so mm-hmm. you're mentioning more about to buy and hold by yourself and doing a refinance but right now with the new interest rate how is your um, strategy is going to change because of the higher interest
1: rate great question adam we read a book called small giants and if you go to the jake and gino channel on our podcast, we interviewed Paul Spiegelman, who is the founder of Small Giants. And it was a great book because it really gave us clarity to what we wanted. We don't want to be the next private equity firm. We want to have a nice company that has 20% year over year top line revenue growth. And that's Mm -hmm. a mixture of rent growth, mixture of buying deals. So Mm -hmm. right now, very comfortable. We're going to hit that by the end of this year. That's what we want. So we're not out there chasing tons of deals. We want to do the right deals. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. And like you said, in that part of the market cycle, when rates were lower, we were able to refinance over $25 million out of that portfolio. And that conveyor belt really worked, continued to buy and buy and buy. Right now, rates are going up. So what you're looking for is that long-term fixed rate financing. That's what you're looking for right now before these rates go up. As they go up, pricing has to go down. So basically, it's one. If pricing is here, rates are going up. Sellers have to. I've been talking to brokers. Prices have to go down. So you're, you're going to pay less, but your date's going to be more. So you're still going to be back at square one. Hmm. At a certain point in time, they're raising rates to slow down the economy, to to get us into recession, and to actually you know try to tamper inflation. At some point, they're going to start dropping interest rates again. That's when you refi back out of the product. Right now, right now, what you might might be thinking of let's go to that longer term fixed rate financing where a lot of these deals are underwriting five to seven years you know coming up through the first wave of that cycle 13 14 15 16 2018 people were buying deals and flipping out of them real quick they're adding value they are underwriting for you know three to five years but in many instances people were flipping out in 18 months now is the time of the operator the operators are here. You're buying these assets. You better hope you have your manage right. We have the wheelbarrow. Buy right in the back leg, finance right back leg. The wheel of the wheelbarrow is the manage right. If you can't manage the asset, make sure somebody can manage that asset because you're going to have to hold this deal for the longer term. And you know what? Guess what? That's good for the operators in one perspective, one sense, because rents are going to continue to rise. So you're buying these assets. You are going to continue to right, raise these rents because of inflation and because of what's going on with the single family market. There's not enough supply right now with single family homes. And people, when rates go up, guess what? They can't buy a home. What do they do? They continue to rent. So there's a lot of opportunity for multifamily going forward. I just think right now, as far as refinancing, you know, rates are a little bit higher. You may, you may add a supplemental loan onto what you have. You're just gonna pay more for that debt. So it really depends upon do you want to extract that equity? Mm-hmm. And if you want to extract the equity, you can either refi at a higher rate or you sell. And Adam, you made another great point about people focusing on when they're new, they're focusing on older assets. We all learn that lesson early on. We get we get. We get drawn in by those higher cap rates. Mm. Higher cap rates. Oh, more yeah. cash flow. ROE. I want everyone to write that down. It's called return no on effort. Return yeah. on effort because yeah. those C properties, there's a lot more work, there's yeah. a lot more upside. But if you're overpaying on them and you don't do a proper budget, which is what a lot of people do, a 1960s yeah. product has mm-hmm. cast iron plumbing, it has roofs, it has driveways, it has HVACs. All these things need to be replaced. That's why these operators now are focusing on the newer assets because there's less capex requirements, there's less effort involved, and if you hold these for the long term, an asset gets older. But a 1980s asset is a lot newer than a 1960s asset, yeah. and, you can, and you can hold it for another 10 years. So that's why the market cycle is very, very important. If you can. Buy an older asset for the right price and you can budget for these repairs and still make it work go ahead do it we've done it we bought we had bought 25 unit night in december of this year past year it was a 1973 build but we gutted the entire thing new roofs new driveways it's practically a brand new asset we bought it at such a good price point that now and with rents rising dramatically it's it's a home run of a deal for us Yeah, yeah.
0: Gino, you mentioned uh, before the show that your model is not based on syndication. Uh, But my question is, what is the upside for you to basically to do uh, more like a buy and hold and refinance versus syndication when you're more focused on raising capital?
1: That's a great question. For us, it's all about core values. Once we really established our core values, and what our mission statement was, Jake and I really want to have a company that we can grow slowly. And what we focus is on, we focus on profit per unit. We mm-hmm. want to see how much each door gives us in profit. We're averaging between 250 and $300 profit per door in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Now, most syndication companies, they don't do that. They focus on capital appreciation and exits, which is great. It's great to get deals on the conveyor mm-hmm. belt. You're also creating another stream of revenue. You have acquisition fees. You have asset management fees. You're building a business from there. Jake and I got to a certain point where we're like, you know what? Syndication model is great, but we really want to build a company. And when we're when you're vertically integrated, which means that you're doing your own property management in-house, you're raising your own capital, mm-hmm. you're buying these deals, you're doing all the work in-house. You cannot grow as quickly as a syndicator does because syndicators, mm. a lot of them have third-party property management. Yeah. So it's basically, I come back to what I was saying earlier on. What are your goals? What are your values? Mm. We mm-hmm. wanted to get to a certain point. And, and for me, it's not about growth anymore. It's not about having 10,000 doors. For me, it's about having a nice portfolio that will perform, that gives us less effort, that's a lot easier to manage yeah. and to hold for the long-term. That property that we bought in 2013, we bought it for $600. Hundred thousand dollars it was 25 units the, and we've and we've refied one hundred eighty thousand dollars. We, we we've refinanced all of our money out of it hmm. back in 2015 two years, later. Two years we, later we still own the property the property is probably worth two and a half million dollars right now Whoa. so we have two million dollars of equity in that property yeah. and the debt and the debt on that property is 400 grand it's giving us nine thousand dollars a month in cash flow every single month that property is putting my kids through college right because you see this one the rest just one. Yeah. But that that's the power of owning something for the long term. Because yeah, you know, yeah. most people get the shiny object and they say, hey, and we've done it. We bought an asset back in 2016 for 37000 a unit. We sold it last year for 100 a door. It was only eight units, but half a million dollars in profit.
0: $37? 30,
1: 30, in Knoxville. Back in 2016, uh, we bought okay, it for 37 yeah. a door. That's uh, what they were trading for. We got a deal. It should have traded for 50, but we bought it for at a discount. So my point is we sold it for 100 a door. We thought we were champs. Well, a year later, the property's worth 150 a door. So Uh who's the champ and who's the sucker? So for me, that was a learning lesson. It was a good asset in a good part of the market. Nice Nice. build. We probably should have held on to that asset, but we got shiny object syndrome. We're like, you know what? We can cash out. We should have probably refinanced that property looking back in hindsight, but that's one of the mistakes we made. Uh, We should have probably held on to that property.
0: Let me jump back to your um, measure. Uh, the upside of your market. Where you focus right now on your market?
1: So Which we're market? Lo- we're located in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hmm. We're within three hours of Knoxville, so we can hit areas in North Carolina, Huntsville, Alabama, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Nashville. We have an asset in Lexington, Kentucky, as well. So within three hours that we can drive. We like the east part of Tennessee as well. Johnson City, Kingsport, all those areas there. We love that. We love that part of the market.
0: More, more, more closer to Georgia, Carolinas, and yes. Alabama's.
1: Yes. Yeah, and okay. that's and that's a function of Jake living there, but also that's where the growth is. That that that's where the population growth, that's where the job growth is. That's where the cost of living is still reasonable, and that's where people are people from California are moving to Knoxville, Tennessee. That's never happened before. It's mm. happening now, and yeah. from California, yeah. from Arizona, from New York, they're coming to Tennessee and they're coming to Florida. So we're just fortunate that we're in a market that's emerging, and we've had, we have assets in that market.
0: I think this is basically my next question, which is: I see uh, how you see as a long term market fundamental with the new net immigration, especially that right now, as you mentioned, the southeast is the winner. The southeast or the Middle East, East is the winner of the market, uh, Georgia. Carolinas, um, Tennessee, of course, Texas, not all of Texas, but how you see the long-term <clears throat> fundamental, if it's going to stay like this, or are you seeing like an actual reverse of the net immigration?
1: We just did a podcast about six months ago with a gentleman named Ken Grombach. Yeah. Once again, go to the Jake and Gino channel. He's a demographer, and he's actually an entertaining demographer. And he talks about the migration. And back in 2012 and 2013, everyone living in Florida was freaking out because business was terrible. And he's saying to everybody, hold, don't worry about it. I see the demographic changing. The 60-year-olds are retiring. They're coming down. And the same thing with the millennials. They're all coming down. So from a demographic perspective, this is a shift from back 150 years ago. Everyone was fleeing to the Northeast and leaving the south because of the opportunities now it's the reverse yeah. now what's happened in the south and you're seeing it with chicago the billionaires in chicago leaving to go to miami the hedge funds from new york and new jersey yeah. leaving to go to south florida yeah. you have a much more educated workforce in the south that's really important same thing in texas you have austin san antonio houston you have rolling out to north carolina you have Nashville. these are very educated cities now yeah. and employers want that the weather the taxes The quality of living, that's going to continue. People used to come to Florida because they wanted to leave the Northeast. They were tired. They were tired of the weather. Now it's a combination of weather, politics, freedom, quality of living, cost of living. And that migration is going to continue Unless or until New York wakes up and says some of these policies we're enacting, they're not really helping us. They're not really helping our state. I don't know if that's gonna happen. That's mm. that shift is gonna continue to occur because as people retire, they don't want to stay in the cold weather anymore. That that's the reality. When you see yeah. Chicago, you see parts of uh, New York, the only thing that saved California is, California is California is truly a beautiful place to live. I mean, it's the scenery is beautiful, the wineries are beautiful, the ocean's <laughs> beautiful, yeah. and that's why people are still there. But yeah. if they were like I said, in New York, you're not going to live in the middle of New York in the middle in the middle of the winter time. You're leaving, and that's what I see happening. And you know, I'm in North Florida right now. The growth here in North Florida is it's, it's truly astounding, to be honest with you. They're, gonna, they're looking to build a hundred thousand homes in the next five years. The, 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 I've never seen so many churches being built, schools being built, roads being built the infrastructure is co- growing in front of your eyes I've only been living in Florida for five years and the massive change that I've seen in the last five years mm-hmm. and that's a testament to the leadership the, the, the leadership here in Florida from what I've seen has really taken this head on and they projected this growth and they said we need to we need to you know focus on the infrastructure and when the you know the state is a 21 billion dollar surplus, they're doing some right things here. They're attracting businesses here and they're attracting people who want to live here with no state income tax. And you have a 21 billion dollar surplus. Somebody's doing something right down here. 100%.
0: As an expert on Tennessee especially, what do you see uh, like a uh, upside of uh, Knoxville versus Nashville versus Memphis?
1: So first of all, I am not an expert on anything. Experts are people who <laughs> they stop learning and, and they think I'm, I am the I am totally growth mindset because there's always something to learn because things, things are changing. You know, five years ago, Knoxville was sleepy. All the money yeah. was in Nashville. And all of a sudden, the Nashville money at the two and three caps has migrated over to Chattanooga and has migrated to Knoxville. Knoxville is still – our rents two to three years ago for two bedrooms were in the sixes and the 700s. They were still pretty low around the pandemic. In the last two years – Oh, that's what it was, seven, seven fifty. Now they've shot up to eleven and twelve hundred because they see the dislocation. You can't afford Nashville, so you're moving over into Knoxville. And I think Knoxville's done a very good job managing their growth. It's a nice little city. It still doesn't have that that sprawl or that feel of a big city. And they've been managing their 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 job growth and their population growth really well. I love the city. Chattanooga is one that I can't figure out. It's an expensive market as well. Nashville is just going to start going out. You just got to start going out to the suburbs of Nashville. And find any value there but I personally like Tennessee as, as a state to, uh, to invest in we love it there uh, Memphis how are you Memphis, about Memphis? That's a tough one for me because Memphis is, is, is a city where you really need to know where to invest in it's one of those things where it changes neighborhood by neighborhood mm. there's the allure of those low cap those high cap rates the problem with Memphis that I see when you're looking at occupancy a lot of these buildings are physically occupied 90 95 percent but with economic occupancy
0: mm.
1: what is that? it's 70, 75%. And that means an economic occupancy, are they paying? So you have like three quarters of your tenants paying, whereas 95% of it's occupied. So that's what, that's what frightens me about Memphis. And if you start going out to the neighborhoods that are really, you know, where there's value, and where there's, you know, the assets are more expensive, I might as well stay in Knoxville, because I'm going to be paying the same cap rates and same prices. Mm. And Memphis is seven or eight hours away from me. So (laughs) uh just be careful, Memphis. Just be care- when well, you go there. Make sure you understand the neighborhoods. Make sure you understand where you know median income is, and you know you're going to buy assets at a discount in those rougher neighborhoods. But those neighborhoods are a lot harder to manage. Just be aware of that. Let me ask you something
0: about recession right now. For, as you mentioned on the beginning about the exit strategy uh, for for your deal, and as I mentioned right now uh, with uncertainty about the, the the rates, so with with the lenders, uh, how you have your uh, risk mitigation plan with the current rate, especially if you're planning for exit with refinance or selling?
1: That's a great question. What we're looking at right now is in community banks, I don't know where the rates are now, but we would look at a community bank and we're buying these deals based on a pro forma, not the broker's pro forma, but our pro forma because rents have risen so much and these mom pops when you're buying these deals, there's no cash flow day one. So what we would do is we're getting a loan to cost with our community bank, 80% loan to cost. Mm. So we're looking at these deals where they're funding 80% of the rehab. We got to get these things funded, you know, fix out this 25 unit deal we bought in December. It's ready to go to refi right now. We've already done all the work. We're ready to Mm. refinance it back to community bank. Unfortunately, like you said, the debt we had on in December was three and a half. The supplemental loan is going to be around 5%. So you're just going to have to pay for, for more expensive dollars as far as debt goes. But you're just going to have to be careful as far as what we're using. That's why we don't want to use bridge debt from an agency, you know, that non-recourse, because it's going to be a lot more expensive, a yeah. lot more closing costs. And where, where is it going to go? And and right now, you need to underwrite for a higher rate. That that's I'm hoping that a lot of people didn't buy six months ago at three and a half, and they're underwriting for a four or four, four and a half exit. They may get stuck. They're only saving graces that rents have gone up so much that they may may get saved that way. But for us, getting that loan to cost, refining out that loan to cost, getting it more fixed, and then holding it for the long term, that's what we're trying to do. I don't want to do all the work, Adam, on a property. Get it repositioned. Get it rehabbed get it churning, and get, get it paying to me, and then a year later, just sell it. There's so much work involved in that. 100%. So we want, we want to be more selective in our assets. And there are deals out there. So for, for your question specifically, when you're underwriting a deal, focus on the exit strategy because you may find a little 20 or 30-unit deal that's vastly undervalued. You see that, go in there, fix it up, and then go out and flip it. That's maybe that short-term debt. But if you see a legacy asset that you like, that's man, this is a great market, great area, great build. I love the unit mix. There's so much value here. I can see owning this for the next 10 years. Get the fixed-rate financing on that deal. That deal is worth holding for the long term. So figure out what your strategy is on a deal and then do it quarterly what whatever type of debt is is corresponding to that strategy.
0: The hard question will be now if the people asking about Gino, what is his superpower?
1: My, my only superpower is that I work hard and, and I, don't, I don't really quit. I mean, think about it. it, it, it There's so many successful people out there. And when I look around, a lot of people were just not smart. I'm not that smart to be completely honest with you. I just read a lot of books and I continue to make mistakes and I continue to try stuff. And that I think is has been my superpower if I go back and listen to my first few podcasts they were dreadful but I didn't quit I wanted <laughs> I wanted to get better and I just continued to practice and practice and practice yeah. and that's basically my superpower
0: how you see uh, as a men- as a mentor right now and you're helping all of your students to to grow and scale their portfolio how you see this as like helpful in your business itself I know that you're not it's they're not helping you but in you as as a uh, in your career, how you see the, the mentorship on your life?
1: You know, what I was taught to do is I was taught to learn a topic and I was taught to do it. And then the third part is to teach it. And when you teach something, you really have to practice it. And we're lucky because we're not only just mm-hmm. teaching about it, you know, multifamily education, we're buying assets. We're participating consistently with it. And I'll give you a couple examples. Like I was just talking to you, we just had Steve Robinson, you know, one of the Chick-fil-A CMOs on our podcast. That hour that I spent with him, part of Jake and Gino, I learned so many things about culture, about building a brand, about building a business, about stewardship, just from that hour that we implemented in our own business. Being able to interview all these amazing people has helped us become much better investors, have given us much more clarity. Like I said, the Small Giants interview with Paul Spiegelman, it gave me clarity on what we wanted to do. We had a one-hour call with our students last night, State of the Market well, guess what? I have to know what the state of the market is. I know, have to know what interest rates are. I have to know about you know inflation. I have to know about the recession. So it keeps me sharpening my pencil yeah, almost yeah. daily to know what's going on and then to utilize that for my portfolio. Because as far as education goes, you can make a good living from it. But owning these assets and creating wealth from there, there's no comparison. You're, that, that portfolio is much more profitable for me the education is much more impactful and I enjoy that part of the business more. So.
0: so I'm just messenger here. I know that you have a really famous podcast, but I want to hear it from the master here. How the people can reach you and find you and Jake?
1: Just go to jakeandgino.com. When you go to the website, you'll see all the podcasts there. I do one specifically with my wife. It's called the Julia and Gino Show. And I personally love that one because I've had people come on the show and say, anybody can learn to cap rate. Anybody can learn cash on cash return. But what you're teaching, you're teaching about family. You're teaching about core values for a family because family and business are very similar. The way you run a business is the way you run your family. You have to have what we call cadence of accountability. Rhythms. You have to have touch points. You have to build a culture within your family as well. And I love doing the podcast with my wife. It's giving back, and it's really having you know people on. I have priests on my podcast. I have personalities. I've had Doctor Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages, on there. You know, people need to work on the relationship. And if you're with a significant other or a spouse, how do you? Even if your spouse doesn't work in the business, how do you communicate? And how do you? help each other out. My, my wife could care less. She doesn't know what a cap rate is. <laughs> I say refi and roll. She could care less. It's the reality. But at the same time, she supported me throughout this entire journey. and Without her, I wouldn't be here. So I think spouses need to understand that they, they can still help and they can still participate. And then still being there is really important. And I, I want to convey that through the podcast and through the shows. And that's one way we do it. Hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: I agree. I was trying to convince, uh, trying to explain to my wife the cab rate and all of this stuff. For her, (laughs) uh, is not a good subject. She likes Turkish uh, shows anyway.
1: (laughs) So let's go
0: back. I think I have to tell you again. I appreciate your time. Really, we appreciate your time to come to the show, and we're really happy to bring you again to the show. You and your wife to talk more about your success on syndication, and again. Thank you, man, for your time.
1: Adam, I appreciate it. I had a great time. Take care.
0: Thank you a lot.